you know what? We need Let's a nice fire to roast by January 15th, 2017. <laughs> Shiver me timbers. Hey, it's Mike Rosso, film photography podcast. <laughs> FPP 158, January 15th, 2017. Awesome, folks. I'm very excited. Anytime I have the opportunity to sit around and talk about film, it's a blessing. Is that what we're talking about today? That's right. Matt oh. Mirage. Hey. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, Mark O'Brien. Hey there, everybody. Leslie Lazenby. Hi, all you snow bunnies. We're all drinking. <laughs> we're all drinking. We're all drinking. <laughs> yeah. We're all drinking the, the, the Starbucks brown. Ooh, yeah. We've got a bunch of topics today. As you know, folks, listen, look forward every two weeks. I'm so happy. Every two weeks we've been uh, doing the, the, you know, the male chimp. You know about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. call it the I call it the monkey chimp. News- <laughs> monkey chimp, like a monkey chimp. Our our newsletter is powered mail. by the Mailchimp. Okay, it's a chimp that's mm-hmm. that serves up email. Yeah, he's really cute too. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I especially like the messages that have just a random picture of John Fidelli in them, just so people know that John's alive. Exactly, <laughs> everybody loves it. Yeah. Does Mailchimp use a digital camera? No, all he does is send emails. Okay. That's all he does. He doesn't, he doesn't shoot anything. Okay, could be chimping his shots. Exactly. Oh, Today we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff, but let's take a quick break. Yeah. I know you guys are always excited to see what's, like, what's exciting this week. Like, what kind of fun, exciting thing, people, place, or thing is available for you guys to pick up? I know that you folks wait at home for your <laughs> FPP boxes, FPP boxes from the store, because... <laughs> Even though, like, I could mail it to myself and just get it delivered here. <laughs> that would be just as fun. I know what it's like to be on the receiving end. Because as a kid, I used to subscribe to Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. And I used to... <laughs> you guys are You think we're drunk? It's <laughs> like... <laughs> okay, so out of the back crap. of the Famous Monsters... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you'd be able to order stuff yes. like yes. back issues, yep. uh, Super Eight films of like uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, and okay. then they'd be condensed, yeah. digest versions of films with subtitles. Okay, uh, model kits. Are they speeded up? No, no. It's just like they cut through yeah, the story it's real quick. Digest. So yeah. it's a, mm-hmm. if it's a sixty-minute film, oh, which most okay. of those were, it'd be like five minutes. At least half the words, and they're better. <laughs> But as a little kid, I used to order this stuff, beg my dad, you know. Hey, Dad, can you write me a check? <laughs> <laughs> and then put it in the mail, and then mm-hmm. put it, I mean, this is in the 70s, folks, 1970s. That's a different, you know, century. You used to sit and wait for weeks. <sighs> Actually, wasn't that part of the fun of it, though? The anticipation. Yeah, anticipation. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of like shooting film and then right. either processing yes, it yourself. absolutely. Or sending it out. Waiting for the darkroom to tell you they got it. That's right. Waiting for it to show up so you can view them. That's oh, right. It's exciting. Waiting, it's waiting for your prints to come in the mail. That's either, right. You know, mm-hmm. Black and mm-hmm. white prints. Yes. Someday your prints will come. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Mm. We were talking about mail and getting mail and waiting for mail. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the international market, Matt? Sure. So, um, Ma- Ma- uh, Matt was like kind of like drifting into the shipping department here, and you noticed all those international orders. Oh my gosh! So, uh, you know, just just a quick note to to the folks out there listening: if you are a listener that is not, you know, in the continental U.S., great news. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, we ship worldwide filmphotographystore.com 
Uh, Mike's always filling out orders uh, to go out to you guys. Uh, one, because shipping rates are great, and two, because just the prices, uh, even once you factor in shipping, uh, exchange rates and everything, it's all in your favor. Um, so a lot of folks that don't have access in their home country uh, to stuff, uh, more than happy to help out there. But uh, I was just talking uh, to a few a few different camera dealers um, and a few international sellers just about you know the state of the international uh, market, not just for cameras uh, but for films in general. And you know it, it surprises me. It's 2017 now, folks, and we're it's. You know, globalization has really occurred, but in the camera market, there's still some some fluctuation. Uh, great, oh. great example. Yes. Um, what camera is? Are there like a million of? There's even at least two of on this table right now. You know. Well, Polaroid. Polaroid. Okay. So, uh, guess guess what this Polaroid one step uh, evergreen camera goes for over in Europe? What? Tell me. Just come on. Oh, okay, let me. I'll guess. Forty bucks. Uh, one hundred euros. Okay, I don't know. If, I don't know what the the trend. conversion. One hundred twenty bucks. One hundred twenty euros. One hundred twenty euros. One of these. No, one hundred twenty euros for the frogs. One hundred hundred euros for the frogs. See. Wow, <laughs> I'm glad I gave that to you. But I mean, you oh, know, yeah. and we're we're swimming in them here. You know, yeah. like you pick That's these why we up. The frog. Yeah. <laughs> amphibians. They can go for as much as that. Uh, wow. You know, and it's not so much eBay, but it's like you know, private camera dealers are buying are buying them up cheap and selling them over there. It's because we, you know, you have limits on what you can ship over there at mm-hmm. once. Uh, you're always getting the value added tax as well as exchange rates you're getting mixed with. So you know, and same thing as you know, us getting older European rangefinders or even Swiss or uh, you know, uh, Swedish cameras, uh, stuff from the Nordic countries are are harder to get because uh, they have the know-how and the uh, to, to maintain the cameras. We don't have any of that here. So there's still a fair amount of exchange as far as getting uh, those cameras. So you, you almost have to think regionally sometimes with, uh, with cameras, like what you can expect price-wise. Kind of the Internet and uh, communities like ourselves are really helping to level uh, the playing field as it were, for that. Uh, a couple months ago, I was having that uh, kind of or- ordeal when I was trying to find... You know, I, was getting, I wasn't getting bored, but I was trying out new sheet films, uh, 8x10. There's not Sheets. Much. Sheets. And, and there's, you know, <coughs> there's not much of it out there, and I wanted to see where else I could go. What could I get? And I was pleasantly surprised when I found, I found a few other sources. They were European uh, direct sellers that... It was worth my while to the to the tone of like forty to fifty percent off to buy it from them and just hang out and wait for shipping. I I can wait a long time to save forty to fifty percent. I don't know about you guys, fifty percent. <laughs> but it, it's just really uh, really great to find out. So you know the fifty um, percent. Step one: the Google's your friend. Uh, definitely uh, learn how to query that. The Google. But. Too, you know, uh, you can use us here at the Film Photography Project as a resource. Um, if you have, uh, tell us what's uh, what's hot, what's not in uh, in your home country. What's hard to get get a hold of that uh, we would think we wouldn't think of here. You know, our Argus C threes. This is some rare camera that you've never heard or seen of. Please let Mark O'Brien know. <laughs> you know. We'll send you. A, uh, a brick of a brick, and, yeah. M- MOQ ten thousand units. I'll back yeah. him up and supply him with more. It's not completely level, but it's getting there. So it's like still catching up. There's there's brick and mortars that are. Yeah, we have a lot of customers in Norway who buy uh, four by five film, mm-hmm. some photo chemistry. I believe it. Uh, One twenty film. I'm I'm guessing that our Kodak film is cheaper than them just buying it in their own country. It's cheaper to buy. Uh, 
Kodak film even uh, anywhere in uh, in Europe from the United States, um, even with the euro be like at a weaker kind of stance than it was three four years ago, it's still way cheaper for them to buy it and ship it and wait for it. And if they bulk it out, it's even better. But same thing if I were to buy uh, some film of. Uh, Paper from Photochemica, Efke Films, Adox Films, um, FOMA Film. I just bought some of that. I mean, saving quite a chunk of money on that stuff. Um, But at the same token, those guys have higher prices on even Ilford Films, which are still in Europe, but they still have to go out of the UK, which they get hit with a nasty tax doing that. So, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see. And, you know, now we can communicate that instantly and just kind of... Here's where you go for this. Here's where you, so it's not it, nothing's like a one stop shop. But if there was anything close, I'd say a FPP stores up there. Right, and I'm always open to adding <laughs> products that people want. Yeah, let in, us know. <laughs> yeah, and that's why so many products have been added. Like I know what I would have never thought of uh, adding HC110. I did, and people are buying it mm-hmm. enough so that you know, as you guys saw, this cases of it stacked over. Yeah, there. those would be gone. Yeah, so I, I really want to hear what uh, what our listeners oh, yeah. have to say. Mm-hmm. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Are you a FPP-er, and have you been buying? Are you, do you not live in, in the United States, and have you been buying from the FPP store? What is your experience like? What have you been buying? Is it cheaper to buy it from us? Why do you buy it from us? Okay, send it to us, the email. Good idea. Hey, uh, folks, uh, if you go to the site, I've really been pressing this because only last year in 2016 did we start actually using all the groovy features that Michael Kalea built into the FPP website that mm-hmm. we never used, like the newsletter. Yeah. People signed up for the newsletter for years. Newsletter. 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 It was never a newsletter. Speak ah. about anticipation. Yeah, when's it yeah. coming? Yeah. I had, no, I mean, I just, <laughs> forgot about what do you call it, it? a Luddite? Yeah, Luddite. 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 Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Back in 2012, <laughs> Michael Kalea handed me an envelope and it was actually, it said the red phone. It had a picture of a phone. It's like the FPP phone. At that time, Michael Kalea, he created the FPP website, and he was done. Because he created it, now he's, it's, it's on to a maintenance person. Uh, currently, that's Dane Johnson running the site. Yeah. In this envelope was all this stuff I opened last year, and there was a, a password for something called MailChimp. And I asked Dane about it. He's like, oh, you know, that's connected to your, your newsletter. I'm like, what? W- wait a minute. You mean that the newsletter that people have been signing up for is connected to this MailChimp, and all I have to do is, like, log in, write the newsletter, and just push a button to send it? And we, it was so long ago, we forgot that we even signed up for exactly. it. Exactly. So we didn't miss anything because we didn't even remember it. I didn't know I was signed up, but I got one. Okay. Yeah, I and got I got two. one on oh, the way. Okay. On the way. I did, yeah. but I probably have two emails and listed it, with and you. And I didn't unsubscribe because there was pictures of John Fidelli in it. That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a little unsettling. Yes. Oh, no. I so you can go to filmphotographyproject.com, log in, and then on the, on the bottom it says newsletter subscribe. Hit that. And then every two weeks you'll get a notice from me. Saying what's what's cool and happening, and I'd like to evolve that into you know like profile pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm ver- I'm very excited about it because it's a whole, you know, it's a whole new communication. As you said, would you call it a, the playing field of communication? Oh, le- leveling the playing field. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, it's one all one. Yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. one world. You mm-hmm. know, it's like everyone we're all connected now. So I'm very excited about. It. Let's uh, bounce into a topic. Why don't we do a quick minute? Quick minute. It's a minute I've used. 
Okay. Well, not that I don't use all my minutes, but <laughs> uh, this quick minute is to remove a stuck filter on a lens. Oh, Cover God. the filter. Oh, Everyone, hammer, right? The worst. Yeah. No <laughs> violence. Oh. A rubber band. Mm-hmm. Put a rubber band. If it's really stuck, put a rubber band on the lens, rubber band on the filter. Amazing. Turn and away you go. That's it? That's it. At the uh, Remember, lefty, loosey, righty, tighty, so you're not defeating the purpose here. But, um, Do you have a plan B? Yes. Plan B. No nope. Plan B nope. is deoxid in 100%. Drop it right in the thread area. Use the rubber bands again. Plan C. Hammer? Yeah. Nope. What do you got, Plan C? Uh, at Midwest Photo, what uh, I have seen uh, the fantastic techs there do is uh, they're basically just giant rubber bands, but you can buy uh, the plumber's channel locks. Uh, oh, uh, and we used to ra- have vice it ra- grips. It wraps, it wraps around the, the rubber piece. You mm-hmm. tighten it up, and it just allows so much more oh, torque wow. on there. Torque. It's, it's meant for undoing uh, PVC and copper piping that's threaded on and kind of stuck in. And it can get any of those filters off of there. Now, if there is a real dinger that's starting to cut into the threads, that's when you get uh, that's when you get your tin snips. Exactly. And you right. carefully snip the edge. you carefully snip the edge, and then all you have to do is just twist against it, and that will actually pop the whole thing off because mm-hmm. those are so thin pieces of metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm terrified of doing it, but it's actually easy. I've to Well, do you it. know, I used to have people it. that would come in the shop and they broken the glass out of it yeah. can't get it out yeah the, wor- the worst thing. thing is there's so, always there's the always nice a really thing. expensive lens you yeah. know right just underneath it so, so you don't want to yeah. you know nick anything yeah. the great so thing is go. these old cameras many of them come in as donation cameras with like just oh. a grimy but you take the filter off and the oh, lens yeah. is pristine underneath yeah. exactly that's what they're there for yeah exciting mm-hmm. stuff that's it that's one minute All right. that was a great minute <laughs> and we'll be right back this is Susie, eight years old this week This is Susie's dad. His camera is eight years old this week, too. Susie sure has changed a lot in eight years, and so have cameras. Suppose dad had a brand new Brownie Starmatic camera. He'd get the right exposure time after time automatically. This amazing camera measures the light with its electric eye light meter and automatically adjusts the lens. When you shoot in the shade, the lens opens to admit the correct amount of light. And in the sun, the lens closes down. You get the right exposure at all times automatically. Beautiful pictures in deep shade like this. Or in bright sun like this. All automatically. So why not take your pictures the modern way? The Brownie Starmatic costs only $34.50 or as little as $3.50 down. Other Brownie cameras start at $5.95. They're as new as tomorrow and mighty good reasons to insist on the name Kodak. Hey, we're back. Hmm. Hmm, 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 hmm. How about, you know, I feel kind of social. <laughs> we talk about social media. Eh. Mark eh. and the gang. <laughs> eh. You know, we talk about using film. How do we, how to, how we engage other people to start using film? You know when you see someone who's kind of like, you know, fanatical about something? It used to be like the Herbalife people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> or back in the 90s, you know... Like you're talking to a family member, next thing you know, they're trying to you know sell you a a, a new long distance service. Mm-hmm. You don't. I mean, you don't want to be fanatical about it. I think now it's essential oils, but yeah. Oh, yeah. good God! Don't start me. <laughs> but how? <laughs> what is appealing to get people engaged about film now? So you're out there shooting with your. Let's say you're shooting with your twin lens reflex, and lots of times people are like, you know, don't 
it's like the like the scene in Christmas Story. Don't bother me, kid. You know, <laughs> and you just want to be left alone and do your thing. Well, you're losing an opportunity maybe to educate someone about what you're doing. Of course, if you're using a, a twin lens reflex, the most common thing is, "Wow, that's a cool camera." No. And that's your well, that's the, an old camera. yeah, or it's an old or someone an old duffer will say, "I used to have one of those when I was uh, like 20." And <laughs> is that how I say it? Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> if their pants are too tight, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's a good opportunity to engage someone. And say, well, you know, this is actually a camera that's, you know, fifty years old or whatever, and and I shoot with it a lot, and this is why. And explain to them the, the fun you have with it. And you could say, well, have you ever heard of Vivian Meyer? <laughs> <laughs> no, tell me more. Right, and it's or, on Netflix or, or yeah, right. Joe Sarno. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Joe One step at a time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so there's that's an opportunity to, to you know you don't need to preach but just be you know, genial and you know educate someone now if someone like one night we were having pizza and we got talking i think i think mark was using his nexus blow up in your pocket cell phone right yeah and the guy was the del talking, soul the nexus del soul uh, nexus del soul <laughs> yeah this is the Samsung Galaxy 7 that yeah. blows up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, catch some fire. And, and uh, then this guy sitting at a table with his family, we got talking about cell phones. Next thing we cameras. Next thing we got talking about film cameras, right? And he's, this guy was still shooting film occasionally, and he had all the stuff. And we had this really nice conversation back and forth. And I, he, I think he came away probably, hey, there's other people out there shooting film I didn't know about. Mark gave him an FPP business card. Yes, he did. Yeah. So, and that's another thing. Have a bunch of business cards with you. Maybe with I have some for the Ann Arbor Crappy Camera Club in my bag all the time, and so I can always hand those out to someone. Um, you could actually, if we had some that we could just hand out to people, and they say, "Here's the FPP, and this is all you contact them." Better yet, you could have one with just one of those QR codes on it. And they could aim their cell phone at it, snap a picture, and then it would oh, link them up to the site. That's easy to do. Yeah, interesting. You idea. Put that on every every you know, card. Yeah. Or on the, on the back film. of your camera. Just here. make a sticker. Stick them all over the world. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> and, and so you could do things like that. And I think it's one way. Sometimes you might get invited to talk to a bunch of kids about photography. I gave a presentation on a bunch of, I think they were fourth and fifth graders at a private school in Ann Arbor. And uh, the, the funny thing is I brought a 4 by 5 with me to show them a view camera. And they had the, it was the funkiest time watching them look through the ground glass and seeing their friends upside down. And they were just laughing their heads it. off. And the kids, here, jump up and down. It's like you're standing on your head, you know, and they were, they get in a large oh, charge. But, it, but it, you know, it was, it was sort of a, an outreach kind of thing. And, but I brought other cameras and I took Polaroid shots of the class and they got pictures. That, and so they, they thought that was really cool. So I'm not saying you should go out there and, and go teach a bunch of, kids all the time because you know frankly they have an attention span of a worm sometimes <laughs> so so you when you have an opportunity to do those kinds of things yeah you know don't always just blow it off I maybe mean, take people up on it mm-hmm. i've had um shooting large format they want to see under the cloth mm-hmm. oh they yeah want to see what it's about it's a mystery and they will stand around and talk and and uh wow yeah can you still get film for that? Well, no, I am, am shooting on air today, but no, <laughs> as you like to say. But there again with the kids, yeah, it's not uncommon for me. Maybe about once a year I'll get maybe three, four, five teens. They kind of think film's cool now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go out and shoot a little bit, come in, and then we'll develop. 
And that is just magical. I think it's important to get that younger generation a little excited and refresh the older. Yeah, and everything is so instant gratification. I think it's good, you know, all of a sudden people see the results of something that's delayed a little bit. They kind of appreciate a little bit more. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. If, if somebody is, I always, I always pay back, you know, the, the questions in, in kind if I can. So if, if they have questions, not only do I try to be friendly and engaging about it, uh, but if they show interest in the film, like... Well, no. I mean, I have I have a camera. If you if you don't have a camera, I'll loan you this first roll of films free. Let's go out and shoot. Um, my Hasselblad over the course of 2015 and 2016 probably got used by my coworkers at Midwest Photo more than it did me, and it turned us from let's see, maybe two people in the whole store that used film to uh, eight sales associates and the president of the company. Uh, shooting film again and Whoa, printing in the dark room, and so it's a disease. And you definitely uh, first roll is always free. I always yeah, tell people get that hooked. get them hooked, get them hooked. Uh-huh. Um, and then with large format, usually if letting them see under the dark cloth doesn't do it. Um, people that are interested and already excited about stuff, I always have. Uh, well, ever since that uh, Petapixel article on me mm. uh, last June. Uh, that exploded things, and I got a lot of uh, opportunities to reach out to folks. I had a couple like uh, virtual speaking engagements with some universities that got kids into large format, and then uh, a lot of kids at the local level, some of the community college students and uh, a couple from uh, OSU wanted to wanted an experience. I was like, "Look, I'm always like if you're if you're hauling, I'm I'm gl- happy to have you out with me if you would like to hold some bags for me." So, but we can shoot answer any questions so i try to you know offer up my time um it's the it's the most valuable thing i can offer uh that i don't have to uh take out of my bank account which is nice um so if you have the time to offer to somebody it's uh it always pays back and it it helps grow our our already very good but small community Mm -hmm. so yeah there's always room for more film shooters Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's kind of funny to see the the younger generation embrace these alternative things right some are into vinyl some are into other things some are into into using film and uh analog analog stuff and sometimes it's just a little odd to see two people in a at a uh, coffee shop both on typewriters facing each other and i don't know if they're trying to send each other texts and failing or it's just a (laughs) sort of a hipsterish thing to do and it's rather cute but um if they're using cameras Hey, can, yeah, yeah, you can even have more fun. So it's it's a it is fun to see where how people see these things, and then and sometimes you're out there shooting film, and, and they'll say, "Oh, my dad died, and he had a bunch of cameras, and mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with them." Well, hey, I can take them off your hands. So that's that's the kind of thing. There, that's also an opportunity maybe to to acquire things you hadn't anticipated. Two thumbs up. Definitely. Um, and the other, the other thing about, you know, engaging somebody properly uh, with the film community, um, you know, currently the, the vibe I always get from folks is people that shoot film, uh, we don't really have a lot of time for negativity. Right. Uh, no, all no. the effort it takes, we're, we're pretty super positive folks. Stay positive. Right. If you're staying positive, uh, you're telling that person that this is how the community is. So if you're a negative person, you are an ambassador for everybody else out there that's right. shooting film or this type. So if... If you come off as you know, a dick. Be an <laughs> you don't want to be an elitist either. You know, I mean, yeah, it's like so, so it's me, like you say, photography is a cool thing, and I just happen to like to use film to do it. Here's a letter hey. from Marcel. Uh, he's a donor organ 
<laughs> uh, camera donor. Okay. Oh, okay. Dear FPP gang, almost 20 years ago, a close friend of our family got me hooked on film photography by giving me his beloved Leica 2F. Oh, nice. I've been thankful for this gift ever since. Sadly, he passed away a while ago. Not knowing what else to do with it, his wife gave me his Minolta X700 setup. As I already have a large SLR setup, I thought I would be, be best to pass this camera and put it to good use and pass it on. Plus, I'm an icon guy. Oh. <laughs> Therefore. <laughs> Always a catch. <laughs> yes. How nice. The first him. chocolate you will find enclosed in this package is the Minolta. I guess he's saying it's a treat. Oh, okay. Is the Minolta X700 in pristine condition. I got really excited for real chocolate. It would be great to hear back from you uh, in what student program is being used. Well, I can tell you it's either in uh, Lafayette in, in Indiana, Indiana. Uh, P- Pickerington, 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 Ohio, mm-hmm. or, at the, uh, or at the Kalamazoo. No, it's not the Kalamazoo. No, it's either Pickering or Lafayette. Yeah, it's either in uh, Indiana, USA, or uh, Pickerington, Ohio, USA. Mm-hmm. High schools, right? Yeah. Yes. The second piece of chocolate in offer, uh, on offer is an expired pack of Polaroid 100 chocolate film. Oh, I like, that, I like that chocolate. Oh, is that what that was? Oh, mm-hmm. I recently right. sold my Polaroid Land 3 350, switching to a Polaroid Image Elite Pro with Spectra Pro. I thought it would be of bigger use to your Polaroid shooters. And at last, there's some real chocolate in here. I sent you some bars of organic fair trade Swiss chocolate in order to convince you that Swiss oh. chocolate is the best chocolate. The Sorry, Belgians. <laughs> and here oh, you're holding out on a bar. Because oh. you have to understand, Fideli and Dalzell have been in here. Destroyed it. Yeah. So why don't, why don't a we stack take, of these. Could we take that for supper and have it as a little dessert? Yeah, well, uh, tonight after the we, we uh, tape, we're yeah. going to Mr. Lee. Lee. Yes. Little taste. Marcel, we're going to take a little taste little of taste. the last sur- last standing, last surviving. Look at that. We we ask at the end of 2016 that people start sending us more food. It's and amazing. Here it, here it is. Here it is. Well, Thanks. Came, They're so generous. This actually came in part of the school donation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that. Blanco. Oh. P.S. You can find my portfolio at Marzu, dot com. Mmm. I don't even like white chocolate. This Creamy. Is, this is delicious. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. 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 That's M-A- it's not overly sweet. No. no. It's perfect. M-A-E-R-S-U.com. Marzu. Well, Marcel, and to everyone else out there that has contributed cameras to the school donation program... Uh, 2016 was an awesome year. We concentrated on three schools that needed high volume. They needed like 30 to 40 cameras Whoa. each. And uh, we really pull, pulled it together, all of us, to go through those cameras and get them out. And the last batch, I'm so thrilled that Mark, O'Brien, and Leslie are like, oh, I'll deliver them, which is a huge burden off the FPP because mm. it cost, costs hundreds of dollars. Uh, to ship cameras, they're very heavy. So, I mean, could you imagine how much uh, a high school teacher? I mean, high school teachers notoriously are underpaid. Yes. Yep. Plus, they're they're out of pocket for all the stuff, the school supplies that they need for their classroom. Then these folks that are taking the effort to maintain a darkroom space 
Got to shell out for 30 cameras. I mean... They have no... Right. No, no, no resources. No budget. As a no. matter of fact, some teachers that I've been corresponding with say some of them pay out of their own pockets. A lot of them are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, even some of the community college teachers are, are matching uh, film contributions out of, out of pocket mm. for some things. So it's... Uh, it's, it's a crazy world, and uh, hopefully we can make it easier for it. Matt's going to talk about the new source for shutter oh. repairs and CLA. Of course, you're going to tell us what CLA is. Yes, CLA, also known as Clean Lube Adjust. Um, this is kind of actually really good timing because uh, last episode we talked about uh, uh, a new, new shutter tester that's right. out there. So let's say you tested your shutter or you got your shutter tested somewhere and it's, uh, it's a little bit slow. What to do? So you can attempt to clean it yourself, or you can send it off to a professional. Uh, in the in the continental U.S., uh, kind of the place to go for CLAs on uh, this is currently like large format stuff. That's my specialty. That's where I always send a lot of people is to a place. Uh, in uh, New England called uh, SK Grimes. They do excellent work. They do full-on rebuilds of shutters. But their price, I mean, their top-notch work, they command a top-notch price. However, there is a new source. (laughs) However. (laughs) A gentleman walked in uh, late last fall uh, to the Midwest Photo and bought some stuff off of me, and we got to talking. It was funny. He was like, uh, he bought some things. I was like, oh, you know, the shutter, I was being honest with him. I was like, oh, I think the shutter on this one's kind of funny. He's like, oh, no, it's all right. I'll fix it up. And it was like an Acme Ilex shutter. It was a shutter that's like no joke to repair. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, if you can repair that here, how about this broken Linhoff that I have? And I made him a great price on that. And he was like, whoa. So I, I basically unloaded all my broken stuff to him at a, you know, a good price to me. And like he's, he's probably already fixed them up and made some bank off of them. But uh, gentleman's name. Andrew Coleman, um, the uh, you can find uh, more out about his uh, shutter repair and CLA that he can do at gemcameras.com, G-E-M uh, cameras.com. Um, he's, I believe the, the site's fully up. The, uh, when we first met, it was still getting up and running, but he was telling me if it is a shutter that he can, uh, he can take care of, large format-wise, we're not talking a two or $300 CLA. We're talking a 60 to $75 CLA on those shutters. Complete reworks. Um, he also works on some of the uh, medium-format camera and leaf shutters, too. So really exciting news. We don't, it's not every day that you get somebody that, can, uh, that wants to tackle that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best part is uh, for somebody that does CLA work, you need them to be in a, in a location that's relatively uh, temperature and uh, kind of con- climate stable. Uh, he's based out of New Mexico. It's nice and dry out there. Only thing you got to worry about out there is dust. So no extra moisture or anything there, too. So. Worry about dust everywhere, folks. <laughs> so uh, definitely uh, check that out. Um, I believe he's going to have pricing uh, up on the website, too. So uh, Thank you, Matt. That's great. It shows like um, we got a lot of hot minutes. Want a minute? Yeah, I want a minute. Single frame? Mm-hmm. Use a 50-millimeter lens for a quick negative loop. Yep, flip it. Oh! Most li- you can add some work some. either way. Most lenses unmount from the camera body. Is it wide open? Yep. Nice and bright? Yep. View from the front element to the back or the other way around, then you don't have to worry about a pen if you wear glasses scratching your glasses. Mm-hmm. That's it. They make, I just, actually I have a K1000, oh, sacrilege, that sits on the desk at imagine that somebody comes mad. in and I just whip the lens off and use it as a magnifier. 
I may should probably rethink that. It but, always uh, made me flip when I saw Leslie do that, and then when I would do that to uh, customers at Midwest Photo, they'd always be like, what, what, what are you doing? What the, what the, hey. And then, here, take a look. Hey. Oh. hey. So that's it. Hey. There you go. That's about a 30-second, but you can use a 50-millimeter. It's usually very bright. For 30 seconds. Or I can just repeat it. Negative loop. Yep. Put me on a loop for the negative loop. Put me on a loop for the negative loop. The OOP or the O-U-P-E? <gasps> Ooh, ha ha. Lens hoods. <laughs> why? Butter or not butter? Butter why? or not butter? Well, why not? Butter or not butter? Butter. Uh, Leslie? Um, mood. Depends on my mood. Sometimes oh. yes, sometimes no. Most times, no. Not butter. Uh... For 35 millimeter, butter. Everything else, not butter, because medium format, I get a dark slide I can use. Yeah. In large format, every shot I have a dark slide I can flag it off with. Now, if you are doing very fine, controlled macro work, that sort of thing, you're going to have the like extra tools there for you, but no, not butter. And, you know, there's another butter use if it gets bumped. Right. You know, and if a little bit of rain, a little bit of moisture... Keeps it off the lens. People are like, I don't understand. Butter, not butter. butter what? Not butter. Huh? They're putting what? butter. Is this going like to keep the butter off your lens? What's the butter so, thing? But, to me, yeah. I just like that. know that if it's a 50 millimeter lens, for example, I, I standard, typically put a lens hood on it. Now, if it's something like a, a macro lens, it's deeply recessed in the in the in the. You don't really have to worry front. about it. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it. Mm. But and there's other let's say an eighty five one eight, which has got a big chunk of glass on the front, and it's very close to the front mm-hmm. edge of the of of the front of the lens barrel, and you're gonna get some degradation of image if you've got a side light coming in. For people who don't know what the hell we're talking about, <laughs> a lens hood is a piece of plastic that screws or on metal. the end of... Or metal. Or rubber. Or, or yeah. rubber. Metal. Yeah. On some Plus lenses, they popped off, out. Right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, even on some Super 8 cameras, they kind of popped out, the rubber. And right. they just uh, protect the lens from like, uh, l- you know, like... Extraneous light. Yeah. yeah. Straight light, yeah. yeah. Uh, glare. Glare, yeah. Glancing. Glancing. Of course, when they have these zooms now, they have these what's called tulip hoods. The pedal hoods, yeah. Pedal hoods, yeah. And I think having tried them with certain types of lenses, they do make a difference. It depends on what you're shooting, when you're shooting. I mean, at night, it probably doesn't matter because there's not a lot of light coming in. But during the day, you know, if I've got a... Got a 50-millimeter uh, lens on the camera. It's more often than not, it has, has a hood on it. Now, if you're shooting through a window and you've got a rubberized, a rubber hood, it's really nice for putting up against the window and not having any ref- straight shades, reflections shades around the out. lens. Yeah. yeah. So there, there, it has its uses. It's obviously a personal preference. No one has to use anything. Right. Okay. It's all up to you. It's all up to you. Right. What about <laughs> on but, the pinhole camera? But don't, <laughs> don't put a Nothing's regular... Nothing's going to help you there. Uh, lens hood, lens shade on a wide angle. Right. The wider the angle, the more you. Most see of your those really edges. big wide angles now, the modern ones, they will have a like a double metal hood like built into it. it just slips out a bit. Yeah. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you, mm-hmm. usually you're looking for specifically sized uh, yeah. ones. And those pedal hoods too, those can be really annoying sometimes yes. on the standard yes. lenses because if you don't do it the right way, you're actually purposefully vignetting your image. Right. So yeah, you, gotta, you have to you avoid watch vignetting. It. If you yeah. Make sure the hood you have is matched the focal length of the lens. If you're, you know, planning for an exhibition, what is the ideal print size? Oh, oh this is going to be butter or not. Yeah. Is, yeah. 
ideal print size is what I thought this was a hot minute, not a hot three hours, Mike. Come on. Because, I mean, people are spending. <laughs> let me oh, ask sure. you, Matt, or anyone here sitting at the table. Is there any people who have prepared for a show and basically did all this work, spent tons of money, and they want one? They just printed the wrong size. Absolutely. Oh yeah, I haven't. Too big. I've done both. Too big oh, you you've yeah. experienced this. I've done too big, too small. I mean, it's really hard to you you. Uh, this is where if you are are working in a space that you've not worked with before, um, knowing whoever runs the venue, trying to get a feel for your audience. So you have to think. Who am I inviting to the show, and what is this venue bringing to the table? What kind of customer? If if you are doing it with the intent of selling it, uh, you know what kind of person is going to be walking through those doors. So, uh, case in point, I just had an exhibition, just mm-hmm. took it down. Um, I think January. I think I took it down like the third or fourth. So I was there for a whole month uh, at the artist collective I, I work at in Franklinton, which is an artsy district in uh, in Columbus, and. I wanted to use that as an opportunity to uh, present biggie size, some biggie size prints that I'd made. Um, did I? I kind of knew up front that they would not be something I would uh, be selling just because they're enormous prints. You have to think of uh, not only the person that is there as your foot traffic, but what kind of wall space does that person have? Yeah. Or are they even going to hang it? Are they going to present it in some other way? Are they just going to file it in a, a portfolio? So if it's another artist, they... Um, the, Another artist is more well. Your number one customer, if you're an artist, is probably going to be a number another artist. Um, they they don't usually have as much money as the non-artists, but uh, they appreciate more art. Uh, so they're probably going to be your number one customer. Think about how much wall space they have. Look at the stuff you have hanging up at home and see what would you be hanging. I took a forty by fifty home because I was excited about it, and I had no idea where the hell I was going to put it. <laughs> So I kind of left mine uh, a little bit loose. I didn't. I didn't even overmat a few of them. I just did like a, a dirty hang on like a big uh, on a big clip, and dirty then they hang. they were weighted down. So they looked kind of loose, but that made them uh, more affordable. So if somebody wanted to buy it, they could scroll it up. I'd tube it, and it's out the door. And then I did have a few traditionally uh, framed pieces because I have uh, Professor Jeff told me or taught me how to uh, prepare my own you know metal Nielsen frames and cut my own mats. So I've got a slew of those ready to go to hang a show at any time so and those in the 16 by 20 and the um what is it just under 20 by 30 size uh frames are probably the easiest movers but the smaller prints are usually the easiest to move but they're also you know about as much work and you're making less money off of it so it's it's all catered to your audience for sure Hmm, i view it different it's catered to my negative Mm. yes not not Obviously, you know, how much enlargeability are you going to have? Sure. But no, I look at a negative, and it kind of tells me the size it should be. Sometimes you can print something too big mm-hmm. or too small. Definitely. But only, only because of its viewability. I think every negative has its size. And I, there again, it's not about the quality. It's about the impression. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of always ruled me. A lot of my things I have no choice because I did so much SX70 times zero Polaroid. And not until recently did I scan and make bigger. I always Which I'm glad you in, did. In an original. So that's kind of always... It used to be such a trip to go in the dark room and you'd look at that film. And when I would look at it, I'd say I knew exactly what paper I wanted it to go on. Warm, cool, whatever. And I knew the size. And that was the size that it usually stayed. That might be a little more up the nose than then Matt's is a little bit more marketable than this method. 
But at yeah. the same time, too, people can uh, they read that authenticity when you when you're confident about how you present things, mm. too. So yeah, and if they like the the content, sometimes that's gonna rule over. So yeah, I I know we've been I've been in a bunch of shows and. Lots of times we exhibit at the Ergus Museum, mm-hmm. which their exhibit space is basically a long hallway, and there's not a lot of space. You've got about six feet from one side, maybe not even six feet from one side of the wall to the other. So your space, in that case, predicates what size your prints are going to be. You can't have a large print in that space because then you want to be at least 10 feet away to look at something, right? Mm-hmm. So we had, some, we had one show called Small Plates, and uh, it was I thought it was perfect for that venue because the biggest that we had, I believe, was maybe six by nine inches. And uh, it was perfect because people were getting up close, very intimate with the images. Mm-hmm. And we had examples in that small plates of earlier processes, including postage stamp size, I think, tin types. Yeah, postage oh. size tin gems. types from gems, yes, mm-hmm. from way back. And... Uh, the purpose of those images were obviously different from what we were doing because they were a much personal thing to carry around with you. But um, the space that you that you show in has a lot to do with the size of your prints. But also, I think the format does too for Holga exhibits. I've seen some Holga prints exhibited at 24 by 24. I thought they were way too large for that for that because generally your Holga image is sort of low definition anyways just by its nature of its of its properties if you want something to look a little bit sharper than it really is you print smaller and uh, mm. mm-hmm. it's it's true that's why if you have back in the day when they had all these six by nine negatives from the box cameras and the and the folders and all that they generally just made contact prints for people, you and at that size, yeah, and at that <laughs> size, they're perfect. But as soon as you start enlarging, enlarging them, maybe to maybe eight by ten or nine by twelve or something, you start to see a lot of softness and imperfections in those pan. images. <laughs> Tech pan, Tech pan yeah, Instant you can enlarge solution. that to what a billboard, a yeah. billboard, yeah. So it, again, it also depends on the grain structure of the image and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, whether the original is a instant image. So if it's a Polaroid or whatever, then obviously you're going to present it at that size. It's made unless you scan it and make it larger. So it's personal preference partly. It can be, I think, also based upon the um, best size, based upon the, the, the qualities of the image, and then the aesthetics of the image. So some things, and also how you crop it when you present it. Maybe sometimes you want it, might want to crop something that's square, in a different in a different format, right? Mm-hmm. So it it's it's all it's all over the map. But I think per, everyone has their preferences for certain things. Is there a standard? Um, <laughs> there's there's a good rule of thumb, and I don't know. I don't remember if this was a, a Professor Jeff thing or a Leslie thing, but I'll I'll blurt it out, and she'll let me know. Uh, a good rule of thumb when you're starting with a negative, you can reasonably expect uh, with a sharp image, 10x. You can reasonably mm-hmm. expect. It was probably a Professor Jeff, but I would totally okay. agree. Yeah, you can reasonably expect yeah. 10x, which on 35 mm-hmm. is like an 8 by 10 On 2 mm-hmm. and a quarter is like a 20 by 20 20 by t- or 24 square, kind of like that right. Holga. But get back to your Holga, the only Holga print I've seen that big, which was cool but still a bit on the soft side because it's Holga, was um, it was David Burnett's. It was oh, yeah. one of his Al Gore shots. Okay. So if, oh, yeah. Right. So like the the iconography oh. of the photo was taking over right. you know any imperfections is this a holga shot 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, he, I saw that. Yeah, that thing's yeah. awesome. So. Yeah, didn't matter. Right. It wasn't important. Attack sharp. Right. Subject matter took over. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that's another thing. It's it, if the image is strong enough, it, it should be compelling. Matter. If it's emotional. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've seen. Um, there was a show at ICP. Uh, a few years back in uh, in New York City that had some Elliot Erwitt prints and I mean they were like drum scan 35 uh, neg- 35 millimeter negatives from some of his early work with like the dogs and everything uh, and then they were uh, printed as platinum palladiums but like huge size like 24 by 30 like oh monster my, monster my. things from a 35 but and it just looked ridiculous so yeah. it's also uh how, how how's your budget for uh for printing too right. because mm-hmm. the bigger you go the the bigger you go printing and, and printing is one thing when you got the matting to do mm-hmm. yep and when we have shows at the argus museum the way they've got things up there they have um i think it's some sort of homosote or something on the walls with with um fabric over it so we use l pins to hold our images oh, in okay. place for shows which then so we say I generally I say don't frame your images just mat them and because the L hooks hold everything and just it's a small space it's nice and easy to hang it is them up, very though. easy and we can you know it, it, you don't have to worry about hanging things and uh, but there's other times when I've had I had a show I had about twenty four I think pieces in it and most of them were either in 16 by 20 frames that starts adding up after a while mm-hmm. so you if you if you're doing a big show you don't you could be out of a lot of money well thank you all for the input awesome yeah. didn't i mean for pe- person person who's on the other end listening so what size what size <laughs> they, they, they would just want the answer they're fast forward and no here we answer. here we are just joking no. around there is there's yeah. there is no answer you, but i do a lot of oh, go ahead oh there's a difference between Competition and exhibition. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, competition, don't be making 16 by 20s and then read the rules that they oh, only yeah. accept yeah, yeah, 8 yeah, by right. 10. Yeah, right. you know, so this is well, just a little well, side exhibition, note Exhibition, don't, wouldn't you consult with wherever, wherever you're exhibiting? Consult a, with that person. A lot of times you would, yeah. yeah she'd want to see the space ahead of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Good. Introducing the amazing Minolta Maxim. The world's easiest SLR, because it alone has built-in automatic focusing. Look, Maxim's autofocus lets you get perfect shots before others can even focus. Change lenses. Maxim again gets the shots that used to get away. Only the human eye focuses faster. Minolta Maxim. Only from the mind of Minolta. Hey, we're back. Let's get a quick one-minute tip from Leslie. Let's talk about the importance of archiving and tagging. This kind of goes back to last summer when I purchased uh, some old negatives. Two boxes, wooden boxes, filled with 4 by 5 glass negatives in sleeves. And almost 95% of those, those sleeves are pretty deteriorating, but they did their job. Had the dates written on them, the exposure, the location, Ooh. sometimes even the brand of um, dry plate he used. Wow. And there were, there were actually some 5x7s. The developing information, sometimes the time of day, and the lens, which I now have the lenses that they use to photograph these in. So currently I'm re-sleeving all these negatives into proper enclosures, research the locations, and uh, add some notes to them. And uh, putting them into my massive 14,000 negative collection. And, uh, in fact, one example, there was probably 20 to 25 of those negatives that was marked Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Mm. So FPP has a 
super pal, August mm-hmm. Kelm, yes. who lives in Eau Claire. Oh. And I'm thinking, these negatives are nothing here. They mean nothing to us. They got shipped off to him. And he told me, he goes, actually, one of these um, uh, pictures on the river of one of these buildings, which was, I believe, a paper plant, because I, I work there now. I work oh, in that wow. same building, wow. which, is, which is pretty cool. But so many of these places don't exist today. I brought one of the glass plates in, and it's from the 1920s of downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it is just amazing to go back. There again, we feel like Peaky Blinders. You know, it's just uh, it's done so well that you have that feeling. It kind of brings me to today. A lot of the things that this person shot were inside homes, people having picnics, very Victorian stuff. They're amazing to look at. There's so much history in there. Even if I don't know the person, even though he did write on them, uh, I've got all kinds of things in there, clothing from the time. How, how people would take a picnic, and I mean, the ladies are still dressed to the hilt with their hats on because they didn't, that's how they did then. And it's just so much that tells you about the times and people's attitudes. But today, and I've had this given to me recently. Oh, I wash my negatives for 30 seconds. That's long enough. I don't shoot anything important. <laughs> this is my family stuff. Right. Um, whatever. It doesn't take any time at all to make those negatives archival. You get an archival wash. I've talked about it before. Mm -hmm. In three minutes, you can be done. Water wash for a minute, one minute soak in permawash or an Ilford equivalent, Mm -hmm. and a final water wash, and you're done. A washing aid. And next step to that, scan them or do whatever you do. Cut them and put them in the sleeves. My negative sleeves have Sharpie marker notes written all over them. That's my notation type of system, and then they're filed away. Mm-hmm. Up until um, recently, my, if I look at my old stuff, they're dated, they're placed, that kind of thing. Now it's mine's even more because I need to go back to things for FPP, you know, film developer, that kind of thing, negs mm-hmm. or lens used or cameras. But don't assume you're not shooting anything that's not important. You have no idea what that's going to mean to the future. Right. So... We shoot for now, but think about your, your, your future, your current, your future viewers. You're shooting history. We are shooting something that has the potential to last for 100 years, 200 years. So, Especially since everyone else is shooting digital. That's, exactly. That's <laughs> They'll correct. all be bad. Yeah. Their stuff's no good. So there again now, we scan it. We need digital. We need to be able to do this. So we're going to post it on Instagram or Flickr. Mm-hmm. Tag. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Tagging. Tagging's tag, big. Tag, One of tag. the first shows, probably, I said in for FPP, you had Matt talk about the importance of tagging. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and not a darn thing has changed. <laughs> um, if anything, it's, I think people are more hip to it with hashtag. Yeah, hashtag sure. has made it s- mm-hmm. something more common that people can understand Sure, and just do. It, it helps when people are looking for like-minded searches. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, I want to see what someone else is doing with FPPIR, yep. that type of thing. And just recently, I had an Ohio travel magazine contact me, and they wanted to purchase one of my images. <gasps> how did they find? How did you find me? Well, we found you on Flickr, and we just used a couple search tags, and this is what came up. This is what we want. They wouldn't have found me otherwise quick little tag and away you go and that was a paying gig they got a one-time use 
I got some cash. So yeah, and that that's the time when they actually paid you and used it instead of just some taking people it. taking it. Yeah, it. yeah. There was actually more to this little segment than I was thinking about. Um, I'm not really sure that I'll go there, but I've really, in the last half a year or so, lost my faith in digital imaging and digital storage. There's so much responsibility to it to keep it up. I am not digital negative. We None of us here can survive mm. without mm-hmm. digital imaging. But when um, people ask me, I will say, uh, if it's important, if the event's important, shoot both. Shoot some film, shoot some digital. Go home, put it in your sleeve, file it away. You, you have no idea what you're right. doing for the future. No well, idea. But, yeah. So there's there times I wish I'd shot in the past of things that I know, let's say, in Ann Arbor, you know, I think about, well, see, 35 years ago when I first got here, things changed a lot since exactly. then. And yeah. I wasn't shooting the kinds of stuff then that know, I shoot now. And I'm mad at myself. In 19, I think it was 83, 83 or 85, my little adopted hometown, I don't have a hometown, was Arlington, Ohio, I don't know, you know, population 12. I don't know what it was. There was more than that. My graduating class at school was 40. It's about like mine. So very tiny. (laughs) But that was our bicentennial. No, I'm sorry, our sesquicentennial year. I walked through the whole town with black and white and photographed street scenes, the businesses that that were there, um, a couple uh, scenes that was just where the residents were and that type of thing. And I just looked at those the other day and I thought, I would have never thought the town has changed that much. Yep. Wow. It's amazing. So, you know, I can't do that with cities or type of thing. But at the time, you know, oh, you know it's just, just, just stuff. But I'm glad I made it archival. Mm-hmm. And I can look at it today and find it today. Well, look at Ed Jay's um, photographs oh, of Paris, right? Absolutely. And it had changed so much after he did that. And if it weren't for those, there would be virtually no visual record of it. Exactly. You never know when the bomb's going to drop. Yeah. As they say, but, you know, we're... Cities are half gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, that's uh, my soapbox. The, the tagging is a good idea. And Absolutely. I, and I, for me, even if I want to find something I did on myself on Flickr, it's so helpful because I can't I remember every shot too. I ever took. Now, but I can say, <laughs> okay, Huron Mountains, and I, you know, up comes all my pictures of the Huron Mountains, and I go, oh, I'm glad I tagged these. See, currently, um, if I'm on Flickr on my phone. As soon as I hit the search box, my keyboard comes up, and then it goes away. I don't have enough time. But that doesn't matter. I go to Google, and I just put FPP, IR, Leslie, Flickr. The Google. And then I go to images, and I find what I'm looking for in a second. From Google. From Google. The Google. Because it's an image I'm looking at on my own when I'm looking for this. So rather than scroll through pages of crap because I can't get the other to work, Google comes through and finds it that way because I've properly tagged it, and that's what it's looking for. Tagging, metadata, all that kind of thing. So, ta-da. Thank thank you, Leslie. Sure. Before we get out of here, we have to uh, hit the rickety road and sashay down to Mr. Lee Sushi. (laughs) 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 Quick book. Oh, a quick book. What do you got? What's it called? Oh, boy. The Nature of Photographs by Stephen Shore, a primer. It's published by Faden Press. What year was this, this, this come out? 2010. It was pre- reprinted in paperback. Originally came out mm-hmm. in 2007. Um, if you don't know Stephen Shore, 
He does large format. Mm-hmm. He's very famous for doing a lot of urban, semi-urban photography in the Southwest U.S. and other cities. I've always, I've actually always liked his work. And this book, people don't know that he actually has been teaching for quite a long time. This book is sort of like a textbook in some ways because he goes into various various photographers' works and. Aspects of photography, for example, the physical level of a photograph. We have the physical level. We have um, (laughs) aspects of place, aspects of time, how you look at a scene and how that scene appears to people and what you see in it, how a scene is set up. For example, there's a picture by Lee Freelander of 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 a yield sign, and there's a cloud above the yield sign, which makes it look like a like a ice cream cone sort of thing. Yes, it does. You know, so he talks about you know photographs have, with the exception of stereo pictures, monocular vision, one definite vantage point. They do not have the depth perception that our binocular vision affords us. When when three dimensional space is projected monocularly onto a plane, relationships are created that did not exist before the picture was taken. Things in the back of the picture are brought into juxtaposition with things in the front. Any change in the vantage point results in a change in the relationships. Anyone who has closed one eye, held a finger in front of his or her face, and then switched the eyes knows that even with this two-inch change in vantage can produce a dramatic difference in visual relationships. To say that new relationships are created does not mean that the yield sign and the cloud in this fo- photograph by Lee Friedlander were not there in front of the camera, but that the visual relationship between them, the cloud sitting like cotton candy on top of the sign, is a product of photographic vision. So it's a really, I think it's a really um, genuinely useful book to teach you about the aspects of photography that people may not think about too much. But there's the physical level, the depictive level, the mental level, and there's mental modeling. And he's really good about picture credits in here and discussing the images. I highly recommend it. At the time of this was published, he was director of the photography department at Bard College at Annandale and Hudson in New York. I think it's a really, uh, really useful book to have. What I didn't realize that he was born in New York City in 1947, so he's about 70, 70 years old. And he was a regular Andy Warhol's factory by the age of 17, photographing both the artist and his entourage. I, didn't, I didn't, did not know that. At the age of 23, he became the first living photographer to have a one-man show at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. His work has since been exhibited in numerous museums worldwide. An unrivaled pioneer in his field, Shore has been influenced, has influenced generations of photographers. And so, yeah, I did not realize he was hanging out with Warhol and his buddies, so... It's a really nice book, and I recommend it. Thank you, Mark. We will be going on winter break. About time. (laughs) I could use a break from winter. Yes. We'll be on winter break, folks. Uh, So we'll be back uh, sometime in March. Stay tuned to filmphotographyproject.com for updates. Uh, check your email. Uh, subscribe to the newsletter. You can go to the filmphotographyproject.com. Log in, and you'll see in the bottom of you'll see the bottom of the uh, your screen. Like you know, scroll down. You see they'll say newsletter. Sign up for that so you can keep in touch with us. Always new and fun and exciting things going on in the FPP online store. 
Be sure to write to us, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. I hope everyone's getting on fine in this weather, uh, providing you are in cold weather, or even the folks on the other side of the world who are uh, experiencing some warm weather. Whether or not you're enjoying anything. (laughs) (laughs) And when we come back in the spring, we'll tell you how Mr. Lee Sushi was. There you go. (laughs) So we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Hey, take with some nut nut goodness. Oh wow, nut goodness. Take with salted nut roll. Oh. Take with sure, good stuff. Sugared out. Don't take, want it. Okay. <laughs>